You are listening to sermon audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more sermon audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Good morning, church. I'm back. I'm back in the pulpit. They let me back up here. So I'm sorry. But I'm excited to be here. Guys, I don't know how many of you know this, but Red Tree, the church you're a part of, is an incredibly generous church. I am so grateful to you guys for loving and serving my family over the last two months since uh, our, my baby boy got here. You guys gave me a really generous um, time to, to be with family and to be out of the pulpit a little longer than that, just to have time to adjust to this new season. So if you haven't met baby Moshi, he's back in the back, uh, probably grouching at having to be here and be awake, but you should say hi to him and meet him at some point. He's pretty, pretty great. Um, anyway, we are in Jonah, and we're finishing it out today. And if you're feeling a little warm this morning, that's on purpose. <laughs> I want you to feel the heat, the spirit coming to convict you today. <laughs> yeah, we had, no, no, we've had complete control of the climate control since day one. This is all strategy. Days we need to convict you more, we make you more uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, we're in Jonah. If you want to go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4 today. If you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, we have house Bibles in the end of each row. Uh, you know, we say this every week, but I think it's important to reiterate this. At Red Tree Church, we really, really believe in the power of God's Word. We want to make sure everyone has access to it. It's why we don't put the Scripture on the screens. We put it um, at your seats. We want to make sure you have access to it. If, you don't, if you're here today and you don't own a Bible, you can just take one of those, seriously. Or, or even better, you can talk to one of the pastors and we will, we will get you a nicer copy than the ones that get tossed on the side of the rows each week. Uh, but we're in Jonah. Uh, if you have problems finding Jonah, don't worry. It's hard to find. Uh, but it's in there, in the middle. You can use the table of contents if you need to. Um, and we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4 today. But I thought instead of recapping the story, Jonah's a pretty short book. And uh, all the, the text, it's one continuous story that kind of goes together. Instead of just recapping it for you guys, I thought it would actually be more beneficial if we just read the book together. It, it's pretty short. So we're actually going to start in Jonah 1.1 today, even though our text doesn't start until Jonah 4. So I'm going to go ahead and read this for us. I'd love for you guys to read along with me. We're starting in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, perhaps the God who will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us 
On whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? What is your quest? Oh, that's me, sorry. Uh, Airspeed velocity of a swallow? Um, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me and took took my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up upon dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will give to you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, 
how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat in the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would have become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head and save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also much cattle. And this is the word of the Lord. What a text. What a story. A familiar one to most of us, right? Jonah and the whale. It's Sunday school and vacation Bible school fodder, right? I think of my little brother, my youngest brother Luke, who's not here right now, but he had a a legendary church harvest party costume where he had a foam whale biting his butt. And it was amazing. It was great. He drug it around the church. I wish a photo of that existed somewhere. It probably does. (laughs) We know this story on some level, right? But I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage you guys to look at this afresh. Because if we're honest, a lot of the Sunday school fodder that, that those of us in the room who are church brats have got from this story is actually a little misleading. And it can easily be a little moralizing. We can walk away from this story with this idea of, well, I better obey God or else, (laughs) right? That's kind of the deal here. And I don't think, listen, I'm not poo-pooing on any of you Sunday school teachers. I don't think any of you taught that. I'm just telling you, I think that's what sticks with a lot of us. And so let's do our best to all come at this together. Whether you have a church history or not, let's come at this story a little bit fresh and do our best to see this as something new this morning, okay? Now, we've been in Jonah for a month. We've been talking about the themes, the text here a lot, and I promise I'm not just going to re-preach the whole book. I have been out of the pulpit for a while, so the temptation came across my mind. But I only have two hours this morning, so I'm not going to do that to you guys. Uh, (laughs) 
Uh, we're going to focus our time in, in Jonah 4, but, but I wanted to get the story back in our heads. And the reason is this. Jonah is brilliant. This is a brilliant book. I mean, if, if you can look, is, is, anyone here, is anyone here satire fans? Do we have any dark comedy fans who maybe laughed a little too hard the first time they saw Fargo? I'm with you. That's how Jonah plays. Jonah plays like a comedy, and it plays like a satirical comedy. I, th- I have a picture of a couple classic satires. Uh, I, I enjoyed this genre a little too much. Um, any Vonnegut fans in the room? Uh, so you were like, you can't admit that in church. <laughs> this one's one of my favorites, uh, Modest Proposal. You guys ever read this book? Uh, it's, it's, about, it's really short. Uh, it's about solving the poverty issue in England by uh, eating people's babies. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of dark. But here's the thing. Jonah plays like this. Jonah is satirical, and satire and comedy are really important genres. And because our God is so good and so gracious, he included this in his word because he knows we need this. You see, what what this kind of genre, what this kind of story does is it lets you laugh at a fool, right? It lets you see how hypocritical and foolish and selfish and downright evil a guy like Jonah is. You follow him through the story, and the whole time you're going, what the heck is your problem? And then you get to the end, and Jonah gives you no resolution, no bow, no ending. It ends with, and also much cattle, which is kind of funny in and of itself. (laughs) But it ends with a question. And the reason is this, because as you read Jonah... And you can so clearly see how hypocritical and foolish and downright evil he is. You get to the end and God goes, by the way, you know you're Jonah, right? And so it's almost like office-esque, right? Where God is asking the question to Jonah and then just turns and looks in the camera. And you're going, oh, that's right. I run away from God. I'm a hypocrite. I'm evil. I'm selfish. It was funny when it was Jonah. (laughs) Not as much when it's me. Right? We need this kind of genre because the uncomfortable laughter allows us to step back from something that's a little sensitive and see it with sober eyes and hear how the gospel speaks into it. And so I want to invite you guys to do that today. It's a little bit of a trick. But I want to invite you to allow yourself to do that today. Laugh at Jonah. Look down on him. Shake your head at him a little bit. Because he is a fool. But let's all just make an agreement right now that when we end this out, we can be honest enough to step back and see the evil and the fool and the sin in ourselves. All right? So think about this. Jonah, the fool, the prophet of God, runs away from God. You see, that that sets this question that runs throughout the theme of the whole book. And our text today gives us the resolution, right? See, Jonah, who ran away from God, but eventually obeyed, just became the most successful spirit-anointed preacher in biblical history, right? 
He walked into a city and he preached, let's be honest, the worst sermon you've ever heard in your life. And 120,000 people fell on their knees in repentance before God. If you were in the, the spiritual gifts class this morning, you know, 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. That's insane. The church went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. Can you imagine if, if 3,000 people showed up to Red Tree next weekend because of, of the sermon this weekend, right? I'm not that good. Don't worry. <laughs> That's insane to us, right? But Jonah, that doesn't even touch Jonah. That would be like one sermon and the entire population of Wildwood and Chesterfield and Ellisville and Baldwin and Winchester and Manchester all fell on their face in repentance before God. There's actually a little despair there, by the way, too. A couple more. A few people from Depair, but not the whole city. <laughs> you guys know Depair. <laughs> Someone here lives in Depair. <laughs> I'm going to get an email. <laughs> Listen, if that's you, you were one of the few people. The rest of your cities, reprobate, you know. <laughs> but it's so many people. That's so many people. From a half-hearted sermon. Jonah walks into Nineveh and says, In 40 days, God's going to kill you all. That's his sermon. And yet, he's so anointed in the Spirit so called by God, so in unavoidably involved in the work of God advancing his kingdom, that that brings 120,000 people to repentance. Oh my goodness. You know, it's like 20,000 people will fit uh, in, in Scott Trade where the blues play. Fill that up over and over and over again until you get 120,000 that's a lot of people, right? And here you have the reluctant prophet who ran away from God, who, who half-heartedly obeyed and experiences this insane fruit of his ministry. And our text today opens with this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Whew. That's insane. That's crazy. 120,000 people? And he's like, rats. Dang it, they're repenting before God. And then he prays, and he drops the hammer, and he answers the question that has been driving this whole book. Because here's the thing. The original audience would hear this book, and they would hear a really normal formula. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go. And they would go, Ah, yes, this I understand. God speaks to his prophets, and he sends them on his missions. That's a thing. We have a whole lot of books about it. That's actually a really important thing. These are these men appointed to this very specific office that sustains our entire way of life. The office of the prophet keeps Israel on the straight and narrow and calls God's people to repentance. These are holy, holy, set-apart men. And then Jonah runs away. And as the reader, you go, what? Even if you get it, even if you're like, I mean, yeah, Nineveh's terrible. Yeah, I mean, obviously. But you're a prophet. You don't get to say no. 
Even us today, we're not the original audience, but we can think of the words of Jeremiah, right? If I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. I cannot. The prophet is called by God to do God's work. They don't have a choice in that matter. They're appointed to the task. They take up the mantle and they do it. But not Jonah. Jonah turns and runs. And even as he's running, his ministry keeps being successful. He runs away and says, I'm going as far away as I can. And some pagan sailors fall in repentance before God. And Jonah's like, dang it, that's not what I wanted. Kill me. And they throw him in the ocean to kill him. And God goes, no, and he saves him. And then draws Jonah to repentance. And Jonah's like, that's not what I wanted. And then God spits him up and says, no, listen, go to Nineveh. And he goes, okay, fine, I'll go to Nineveh, but I'll teach you a lesson. This is like husbands in the room. I'm sorry, I'm about to out you. But this is like when you tell your husband, I need you to wash the dishes. And they go, oh, sure, I'll wash the dishes. And they do such a terrible job that you're like, you know what, never mind. (laughs) I'll just wash the dishes from now on. Jonah's like, yeah, sure, I'll go preach to Nineveh. And so he goes and he preaches the worst sermon in all of Scripture. And 120,000 people repent. Jonah cannot get away from God's anointing in his life. Beloved, there's a lesson in there somewhere, but we're not going to talk about it today. Maybe you need to just think about that one. He can't get away from it. And the whole time as the reader, you're going, you are so dumb. Don't you see God's mercy on your life? Don't you see his kindness and his anointing and his spirit guiding you and protecting you and bearing fruit? You fool. And then Jonah finally lets us in. I'm going to reread this prayer because this is key to our understanding of the whole book. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah, the thing that fueled the prophet of God, to forsake his call and run away from God was his sound doctrine. Think about that for a moment. Look at the phrase he uses to refer to God. That is Jewish creedal theology. <laughs> you are abounding in mercy, steadfast love. This is, that, that phrasing, that wording is repeated throughout the New Testament in teaching theology of who God is. What Jonah is saying is, I knew you so well and so intimately, I knew what you would do. And I would rather die than live in a world where that's what you do. That's crazy. Jonah's knowledge, his intimate knowledge of the person and character of God drove him to detest the person and nature and character of God. And it landed God's anointed prophet in a place where he would rather die than submit to God's gracious, amazing, loving, patient kindness. 
Wow. That's insane. And guys, you need to think about how insane that is. Jonah is the world's biggest hypocrite because he has experienced God's patient, loving kindness this entire time. He is disobedient. He is reprobate. He is deserving of death. He even says it. I forsook you. I'm not doing this. Kill me. Let's end this thing. I'm done being a prophet. And God's like, no, no, we're not going to do that. No, 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 no. You can jump into the ocean. I will send a fish to swallow you. You don't get to drive this train, Jonah. I do. No. And even look now how God responds to him. I love this. God, in his amazing grace, allows Jonah to spit out this venom where Jonah essentially says, I knew you were awesome. I just hate that kind of awesome. Kill me. And God goes, do you do well to be angry? Is this real? Are you really mad about this? Is this actually what you want to plant your flag in, Jonah? Come on. And so Jonah marches outside of the city, and, and we see this amazing object lesson that God sets up for Jonah. Jonah marches outside the city and sets up a little camp because he wants to sit and wait and watch God destroy the city. He's ready for some Sodom and Gomorrah action. So he goes and he sets up his little base camp, which he would be pretty easy to do. He sets up some rocks. He builds a little hut. But I don't know if you know this area super well. There's not a lot going on in terms of like brush and tree trees, and there's not a Lowe's where he can go pick up some roofing materials. And so it's pretty miserable as he sits there. And this is, this is astounding to me. Jonah is sitting here outside the city, the city that has just fallen on its face in repentance before God, waiting and hoping that God will destroy these people. But he's uncomfortable because it's hot and windy. And God cares so much about Jonah, he steps in to alleviate his discomfort. Look what it says. This is, this is insane. This is verse 8. Six. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. The God of the universe who, who just relented from destroying 120,000 dreadful sinners also cares about his dreadful sinning prophet. So much so that he intervenes to provide him shade in the midst of his rebellious sin. There's some there. I got a picture of a weird plant here. That's a castor oil bean plant that grow in this, this area. And uh, the wind carries their seeds, and they really do sprout up overnight. Um, and they're large and have big, huge leaves. Uh, and so most theologians go, that's probably what it was. Now, we've talked about this. I mean, it's God, you know. <laughs> he made a fish swallow a guy and kept him alive for three days. Pretty sure he could just tell a watermelon to show up and give the guy shade overnight. But, but these things exist in that part of the world, and they're huge. And they, those leaves are kind of umbrella-ish, and you can sit underneath them. And so God pops up some kind of big plant, and I love this. 
Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. (laughs) Exceedingly glad. And guys, this gives us the perfect image into Jonah's heart. Because you see, for Jonah, the plant makes sense. It makes sense. He's Jewish. He's God's chosen. He's not just Jewish. He's a prophet. He's been appointed by God to the highest office amongst his people. He is revered. He is holy. Of course his God would intervene to make him comfortable. Of course he would. That makes sense. That fits within Jonah's understanding of who God is. And so God does, in his love, intervene for Jonah's comfort. And Jonah goes, ah, yes, this is how it works. I sit and wait for you to destroy evil people. You give me shade. We're good. And then God, being God, uh, does some more appointing, right? He appointed the plant, and that was nice, but he's not done appointing. So now he appoints a worm, and the worm comes and eats the plant and kills it. And if you watch the VeggieTales version of this, the worm also loves Cheetos. It's a weird thing. But the worm shows up, and he eats the plant and kills it. And then God's not done there. He also appoints a scorching wind to come along and make Jonah super miserable. So by the way, the same God that cares enough to intervene supernaturally to alleviate Jonah's discomfort also cares enough to supernaturally intervene and make him more uncomfortable, (laughs) which is great. But there's also an amazing truth in that. This is the theme we've come back to this whole summer in the prophets, and that's this. Our God loves us too much to waste suffering in our lives. And I know that's an unpleasant lesson to learn, but you can't actually read the prophets and not learn that lesson. See, God loves Jonah way too much to leave him in this poisonous, bitter, soul-crushing state of hatred. And so he purposefully interjects pain into Jonah's experience, that Jonah might become something new and different. And beloved, if we can't accept that from our loving and gracious God, we're going to have a tumultuous relationship with him. Because he loves you too much to not appoint suffering in your life. And listen, that's not the point of our, our text today. And if that just super messes with you, I'd love to help you pick that apart at some point over a coffee. But you need to hear that. And I, my guess is there's probably someone in this room who needs to be reminded of that this morning. Your suffering is not in vain. Your God has not forsaken you. In fact, he refuses to waste it. So open your heart. Listen to him. Experience it. As James 1 says, allow steadfastness to have its full effect that you might be made perfect and complete. So, God appoints suffering in Jonah's life. Jonah's not pleased with that. And all of a sudden, this Jonah, who just a few minutes ago was exceedingly glad, is back on the deck of a boat saying, forget about this, kill me. This isn't worth it. He's straight back there. Kill me. I'm sick of this. I don't want this world. I don't want to be the prophet of this kind of God who would give a gourd only to take it away. Which is kind of silly. Now God brings back the exact same question. But now he's wrapping it around Jonah's experience. Jonah, do you do well to be angry about the plant? Yes! I'm totally justified in this anger, God. You don't know how hot it is. 
I'm so angry, I would rather die. And God just comes over to him and says, Jonah, it's a plant. You didn't plant it. You didn't take care of it. You didn't do anything. It shot up in a day and it died in a day. And you want to die over that? That's how concerned you are over that plant? Because it brought you a little comfort? Because you liked it a little bit? You'd rather die than live in a world without your little shade plant? Think about me for a moment, Jonah. I made Nineveh. It's mine. Those are my people. 120,000 people who are blind, who don't know their right hand from their left, who are made in my image but are wallowing in the curse. Should I not be concerned about that? Am I not allowed to desire life for my children? Am I not allowed to desire freedom for captives? In the ball, so there's a bunch of cattle there. The end. <laughs> but God made the cattle too. He likes them also. What an ending. Because you don't even get Jonah's response. You don't get Jonah going, dang, God, that's a good point. <laughs> You're right, I'm sorry. It just, it just leaves you there. And I'll tell you why it leaves you there. Because what we already said, Jonah's this amazing satire that sucks you in, that invites you to mock this fool, to see him for his hypocrisy, to see him for his sin, and then right at the very end, the author says, now look upon yourself with sober eyes. So beloved, let's look upon ourselves with sober eyes. Let's think about ourselves in Jonah's position. We are recipients of the amazing patience and love of a gracious God. Think about, think about how steadfastly he has pursued you your whole life. Think about the foolish things you have done and said to him. Think about the ways you have spit in his face and pushed him away and rejected his call on your life. Think about the ways you have bold face pursued sin. Because in the moment it is pleasurable. Because in the moment it's easier. Because in the moment it seems like escape from suffering. Think about the ways you have run from the call of your God, from the call of obedience. And beloved, think about the ways you have thought about God's creation. I need you to think about that. Because we think about people and this universe and this creation differently than God does. You see, we have a tribe. And we want very much for God to be on our team. Right? Think about the way you divide up your life. Think about the boxes you put other people in to divide yourself away from them. Think about the ways you look down on others who are different than you. Beloved, God made them all. See, God so loved the world, the whole world, even the people you hate, even the people you disagree with, has, is it right, is it well for us 
to be frustrated or angry, the desires of our God to love and save. It reminds me of a parable Jesus told in Matthew 18 about a servant. You guys remember this one? The servant was in debt, and so he went to his master. And he said, I promise I can pay this off. And the master was like, no, you can't. But I'm going to forgive you. And so he releases the debt, and and the servant says, oh, this is amazing. And so he runs out and finds another servant who owes him some money. And he has that servant thrown in debtor's prison until his debt is paid back. That story does not have a happy ending, by the way, if you look it up. The master hears about it, calls the servant back in and says, you wicked servant. You should have shown mercy as I showed you mercy. And he throws him away into debtor's prison. And then Jesus ends it by saying, by the way, Jesus ends it by saying, so it will be for all of you who don't forgive as you've been forgiven. Beloved, you don't get the option to love some people and not others. And ultimately, this is an identity thing. You see, what it came down to for Jonah was that Jonah was a Jewish prophet. And he encountered the God of the universe. And he desperately wanted the God of the universe to be the God of the Jews. And Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, the land and the sea, said, Jonah, you do not get to put me in a box. You do not get to define the breadth of my love. I do. I made Nineveh. It's mine, and I want it. You're good. You get to obey, and you get to tell them how much I love them. That's what you get to do. And Jonah was encountered with his functionally broken identity. Was he a Jewish prophet, or was he a child of God? And his identities clashed against each other, and he could not handle the internal spiritual and mental tension. And ultimately, he said, no, I'm a Jewish prophet. I don't like this world where you get to love Nineveh too. Kill me. He could not handle the tension. Beloved, who are you? Are you a child of God? Or are you an American? Democrat, Republican, a Libertarian, <laughs> does not God, is it, is it right for you to begrudge him, his passionate, patient, loving kindness for all of his creation? Is it right for you to think less of people different than you, people you passionately disagree with. Beloved, the words we choose to use about other people made in the image of God matter. They really matter. The way you choose to speak to people who disagree with you politically and socially really matters. The way you choose to engage and think down of people of other generations and other social classes and other ethnicities and other languages and other cultures really matters. Even if you think their culture is inherently evil. Even if you think they're invading and destroying your way of life. 
Even if you know that their religion is false and their ideology won't work, and that's not how economics work, and socialism is broken, even if those things are true, the way you speak about and interact with people made in the image of God really matters. It really matters. Turn with me to 2 Peter. We're going to end out with a text. I want you all to turn there. Should have had this ready to go. Second Peter chapter four. There is no chapter four. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm gonna read it off my screen. Mm-hmm. Chapter three, starting at verse eight, says this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone. Everyone. Listen, there's a lot of fodder in there for theological debate, right? You could get out over a coffee and start throwing out seminary terms and debating this passage, but you need to hear this. Your God, the God we proclaim and sing about, is patient, not desiring that any would perish, not desiring anyone but everyone to come to repentance. The heart of our God is a heart of compassion. It's a heart of love for everyone you hate, everyone you dislike, everyone undeserving of love. The heart of God is that all Republicans would come to repentance and all Democrats and all Americans and all Muslims, and all Middle Easterners, and all police, and all homeless people, and all victims of violence, and every abuser, and every convict, and every person wrongfully convicted, and every person passionate about social justice, and every person meanly arguing with them on the internet. The heart of our God is that all would come to repentance, regardless of sexual orientation or financial ethics or political convictions or skin tone or nation of birth. This is the God we claim to serve. Beloved, this is the God I serve. This is the God we proclaim every Sunday. This is the gospel we announce to a hurting and dying and lost world. And beloved, if you are in opposition to this, you will struggle to find peace with this God. Because he is the God of the universe. I'm going to give one last thought and we're going to give some time to pray. See, the amazing thing about Jonah is that you read it 
and you make fun of Jonah, and then you realize you're Jonah. But if you think about it for a few more minutes, and maybe you go forward and you read Matthew 12, like Julie read for us today, you realize that you're not Jonah. If we're honest, Jonah's probably better than us. (laughs) We're much closer to Nineveh. Blind. Not knowing our right hand from our left hand. Lost and dead in our sins. Apart from the interjection of our God. Apart from the supernatural, gracious, loving intervention of a God to call us from death to life. Beloved, praise be to God that Jesus is significantly better than Jonah. (laughs) That he did not begrudge God's call to come and love and serve those who hate him. He did not run from the suffering handed to him to serve and love those who are evil, those who have done wrong those who have abused and used and coerced. Beloved, thanks be to God that Jesus is a better Jonah. So here's what I'd like to do. Let's take a few minutes and let's get with God in some prayer. I know we do this every week, but guys, I want want you to engage us. We have a couple prayer counselors here today. Mike and Julie, if you guys would stand up so people can see who you are. They're going to be on the other side of the room. Obviously, you can come grab any one of our pastors. Find some space for you to be with God for a moment. If you need to get out of your seat and go around the edge of the room and get on your knees in repentance, if you need another human being to pray over you out loud and help give words to something you're feeling but can't quite say, if you just need to sit in your chair, find some space for you to be with God and engage this question. Think about this world God made. Think about his heart for those who are blind, not knowing their left hand from the right. View with sober eyes the chasm between your pathetic, self-centered love and the love of our God. I know that's a harsh way to say it to you. But we can can be honest about it for a few minutes. But our love has limits. Confess this to God. Ask Him to prick you with the conviction of those that you would be much more pleased if they were left out of the camp. Ask Him to draw names and faces and ideologies and groups of people to your heart that you might repent to him. That you might beg his mercy upon those people. That you might intercede on their behalf for repentance and salvation. And that ultimately he might use you in the work of his kingdom to draw the dead to life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.